0: Church, good morning and welcome back to the book of Acts. I don't know about you, but I deeply appreciated and enjoyed that time of singing to the Lord and to one another. And uh, I'd like to to begin with a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? God, we give you praise for your word, we give you praise for, for mouths and voices to magnify the name of Jesus and to be reminded of the truth of the gospel. God, we thank you that though we are prone to wander, that through the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit, that you you bind our hearts, God, that you help us not to wander. And when we begin to wander, that you convict us and bring us back into the, the path of righteousness, of following hard after Jesus. God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We pray, God, that you would, for those who are saved, for those who are called by the name of Jesus, that You would continue to sanctify us in the hearing of Your Word today. And for those, God, in this room, in the gymnasium and listening online, who perhaps do not yet know Christ, God, who are not yet saved, are not yet redeemed through the blood of Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are new to North Roanoke, as many of you are I am so thankful uh, for your presence here today. Uh, Just a little commercial or uh, explanation of, of what we do at North Roanoke. Generally speaking, we work our way through books of the Bible. We believe that God has spoken to us in His Word, and He has done so in one book called the Bible that is comprised of 66 books. And so generally speaking, we just work our way through what God has said, and we endeavor to understand it. And we happen to be in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37 this morning. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37. Acts is a a book of transition. It it covers uh, the time from Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father. He's gone to the cross. He's done what is necessary for salvation. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's commissioned His apostles uh, to go out and to spread the gospel. And that will then spread through those who come to saving faith in Christ. And we're going to see what happens after Peter preaches this, this great message in Acts chapter 2 uh, verses 5 or so through verse 36 that we considered over the last couple of weeks. So they want to know, like, why is the Spirit come? What's, what's going on? How do we understand this? And Peter says, like, Jesus came, He died, he, was rose, he rose again, He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and He has done exactly what Joel chapter 2 said was going to happen. The Holy Spirit has come. What is necessary to become a child of God and to to be saved and redeemed has happened. And so the the Spirit of God who used to come upon prophets and kings in the Old Testament, He's come upon all who call upon the name of the Lord, verse 21. Which means that our great need between the time of Jesus' first coming and His coming again, that great and magnificent day of the Lord, our great need is what? It is to call upon the name of the Lord. And so, Peter has, has finished this sermon, he's told these Jews and these Jewish converts who have gathered in Jerusalem, he's told them, you, you must call upon the name of the Lord, and then he says, by the way, you're the ones who crucified him. And they're like, well, what do we do now? As we'll see, beginning in verse 37, would you hear with me the word of God? Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that you're seeing in action, you will receive personally. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and I've titled this morning's message simply, Many Call Upon the Name of the Lord. Another title might be something like, The Anatomy of a Saving Faith in Jesus. What does it really look like to be converted? If you were to cut open what it is to go from death to life, to go from lost to found, to go from condemned to rescued... What does that look like? And this passage of Scripture gives us a great opportunity to step into what it is to be saved. To no longer be dead in our sins, but to be rescued by God. Which is why I believe this is one of the most, among the most important sermons I'll preach. Stacy asked me this morning, she said, why did you put on Facebook this is the most important sermon you're preaching? I said, "I said it's among the most important because there's, there's a reality that your next sermon is your most important sermon, right? So next week's sermon will be the most important sermon I ever preach, because I need to be faithful next week and preparing and praying for you that God would work. But, but in terms of the topics that we could cover, in terms of the themes that come up in, in the Scriptures, this is, this is such an important and clear explanation of what it means to go from lost to found, dead to alive, Not belonging to Jesus, to belonging to Jesus, to being a child of the world, to being a child of God, to being in Adam who is sinful, to being in Christ who is sinless. This must happen in the heart of every person who will be with Jesus when He returns. Otherwise, you will die separated from the love of God for all eternity. What I'm going to talk about today is eternally important. And I hope you'll stay with me for the balance of the message. The first thing we need to say, see this morning is, is to call upon the name of the Lord. To go from death to life, we must first be convicted of our sin and our hostility toward Jesus. We, we've just read a remarkable passage. Five verses, in just five verses, we've gone from great tragedy to great victory. The people who crucified Jesus, who shouted crucify Him, five verses later will be baptized upon His name and will be gloriously saved. These Jews and Jewish converts who had previously been so self-confident and self-assured in their self-righteousness, they finally see what they've done. They had blindly and arrogantly and willfully rejected and crucified the king that they should have been seeking and celebrating and serving. As they hear Peter tell them what has happened, they realize we crucified the Son of God. We crucified the king in David's line that we were supposed to be looking for. We killed the very one who will restore Israel and make the whole earth full of His glory. God, help us. What have we done? Verse 37 says, They were cut to the heart. There is no salvation without conviction. There's no salvation without being cut to the heart to the heart, over your sinfulness. They weren't just caught, they were convicted. There's a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. I remember when my kids were younger, sometimes I would metaphorically catch them with their hand in the cookie jar. And they weren't disappointed that they wanted to get a cookie or that they had already had three. They were just a little sad that they had been caught. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about being cut to the heart, to be pierced to the innermost place of your existence, to have great remorse and lament over your life, which has fallen infinitely short of the glory of God. They were cut to the heart. Sadly, not all of the Jews that we encounter in the book of Acts are going to hear the gospel and be cut to the heart. Some will harden their hearts. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, who's going to be stoned to death for preaching the gospel to Jews, says to them right before they stone him, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. But in this case, they don't resist the Holy Spirit, they are convicted by Him. They are cut to the heart. They are pierced over what they've done that brought about the death of Jesus. And hear me well, it's not just the Jews who crucified Jesus. Jesus came to die for sin because we're all sinners. Jews and Gentiles, red, yellow, black, and white. There's none of us, no, not one, who is not guilty of the body and the blood of our Lord. And yet He came to save us. The Holy Spirit Convicts them of what they've done. And they cry out to Peter and the apostles, what do they say? Brothers, what should we do? (laughs) We killed our king, our king is risen. What do we do about it? And the we suggest that many of the people, many in the crowd, are asking this question. And we know this because of verse 31. 3,000 people are baptized at the end of the passage we just read. Church, this is what the Spirit of God does. With the word of God. Where the word of God is proclaimed. Where the gospel about Jesus is proclaimed. The spirit brings conviction to the hearts of sinners. Conviction means what? It means you're guilty. You say well I feel guilty or I feel convicted. It's because you're guilty. Right? We feel convicted because we are convicted. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We've, we've sinned against the holiness of God. We've broken the ten commandments. We've lied. We've stolen. We've cheated. Jesus says if you've broken one, you've broken all of them. Jesus promised that He would send the Holy Spirit when He went to heaven. And He promised that the Spirit would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And that is happening right now in this passage. The Spirit is working through Peter's sermon based on the Word of God to pierce hearts with the word of truth about what they've done to the Son of God. I pray this morning that God would do the same thing. I pray that as I preach the gospel, that you would hear and that the word of God would fall like rain on your heart and that it would bring conviction where conviction is needed and that some who are not yet in Christ would say, What must I do? That God would bring conviction to your heart. That he would confront your arrogant insistence on doing it your own way. I remember when I was seven years old. And I heard the gospel go forth from my my father's a pastor, from my father's lips week after week after week. And I didn't want to admit that I couldn't be good enough. What do you mean I needed somebody to come do for me what I couldn't do for myself? Of course I could be good enough for God. I could make straight A's. I could be the best athlete. I could always be the best. You say, well, you were a pretty arrogant little seven-year-old. Yes, I was. My mom said if you looked up obnoxious in the dictionary, you'd find my face. The first thing that must happen in your heart to become a Christian, to become a child of God, is the Word of God must find its way into your heart and expose you for who you really are and bring conviction that apart from Christ you can do nothing and that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. I pray today that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God, which Hebrews 4.12 says is sharper than any double-edged sword, to cut through the wicked sinfulness of the human heart and lead you to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We've got to be convicted. But secondly, we've got to be born again. It's not enough to to know that you're a sinner. Something's got to be done about your sin. And the only one who can do something about your sin, who can remove it as far as east is from west, who can take it off of you and put it on himself and then take it to a cross and leave it there is Jesus. And the way that that happens, secondly, is we must personally repent of sin and trust in Christ alone. We must personally repent of sin and trust in Christ alone. We see this in verse 38 and this verse is a a little bit challenging to interpret at first glance, it seems that Peter is saying we have to be baptized in water in order to be forgiven. But when we look at other passages of Scripture, we understand that's not what Peter is saying. But that baptism itself is not what removes sin, but only Jesus removes sin. Well, what is Peter saying then? He's saying this, the spiritual reality that is represented by baptism must be a reality inside of our lives for us to be forgiven. So what baptism symbolizes on the outside has to be true on the inside for us to be forgiven by God. There is no forgiveness from God unless we are in His Son, Jesus Christ. It is in Christ where the grace of God is found. It's not found in what you do. It's not found in trying to be a moral person. It's not found in providing for your family. It's not found in being kind and nice. It is found in Christ. Paul says this in Ephesians 2.10, We are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of our own doing, but it is the gift of God. It must be received by faith. So to rightly interpret verse 38, we've got to understand that when Peter commands us to be baptized, he is calling on people to have an active faith in Jesus. Not to just check a box, pray a prayer, sign a card, but to actually go in front of people and say, I would be a dead man in my own sin, but now I've died in Christ and He took my sin, and He raised me up, and I'm walking out of here to live a whole new, in a whole new way with a whole new people for the glory of Christ. So Peter's not saying that water baptism forgives us. He's saying Jesus forgives us, and we've got to have an active faith in that Jesus to be forgiven. Forgiveness is found in the bloody death of Christ alone, and in the New Testament, baptism is the believer's profession of faith in Jesus. Let me say that again. In the New Testament, believer's baptism is the believer's profession of faith. As Bruce writes, it was considered an outward public sign that the candidate or the new believer had both repented and been forgiven. They didn't have pews at Pentecost. They didn't have pew cards at Pentecost. They didn't have a checkbox, I'd like to be baptized. So, so when they said to Peter, what must we do? What did he not say? Well, if you'd grab that card in front of you, if you'd come forward and pray a prayer, make a decision, what did he say? Repent and be baptized. If you want to belong to Christ, if you want to show the world that you belong to Christ, repent and be baptized. How many of you? Every single one of you. So he's going to save the whole multitude that calls upon the name of the Lord, and yet he's going to save them individually. He's calling for every individual hearer to give up on the idea that they own their lives and instead live for the one who truly owns them, King Jesus to stop worshiping self and instead to live for the King of glory, Jesus Christ. Notice that repentance is not optional. It's a command. Baptism, by the way, is also commanded. Repent and be baptized. Repentance includes admitting that we are wrong, but it is more than we admitting we are wrong. Let me say that again. It includes admitting we're wrong, but it's more than admitting we are wrong anybody will admit they're wrong. Yeah, I made a mistake, a flub, I messed up. But repentance is not just saying I'm wrong, it's saying I'm wrong and I've offended a holy God and I want to run in a different direction. It includes sorrow for our sin. Peterson says this in Acts, repentance means a radical reorientation of life with respect to Jesus. It means expressing sorrow For having rejected the one that God has sent as Lord and King. Repentance is a resolve to turn around and run in the exact opposite direction that you were running. I was running after my own dreams, my own ambitions, my own fame, my own glory. I could do it on my own. I was going this way. And then boom, I heard the word of God. And he opened the door of my heart to see that I'm a sinner, that I'm guilty, that I'm convicted. And repentance is a resolve to say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm running this way. Because Jesus is over there. What he says, I'll do. Where he calls me to go, I'll go. How he wants me to live my life and my marriage, I'll live it. Whatever he asks me to give, I'll give. Wherever he wants me to live, I'll live. If I'm supposed to move to Africa, I'll go to Africa. Whatever he wants of my life, because he rescued it with his blood, he owns all of me, my thoughts, my affections, my attitudes, and I'm going for him. That's repentance. It is far more than to admit that you are wrong and then keep walking in the same direction. Jesus is not a ticket on your ride, or in your little joy ride, in your amusement park. Jesus is the Lord of your life, or He is not your Savior. And we got a lot of people who checked a box, prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, picked up a card somewhere along the way, and they kept walking straight towards hell. Nothing changed in their life. No transformation. No yielding to Jesus Christ who is Lord. He defines my sexuality. He tells me to stick it out in a hard relationship. Jesus is my King. Have you repented today? Jesus says many will show up on the day of eternity and they will He will say to them, Many will cry out, Lord, Lord. And He will say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. They're sitting in pews and in churches all across America today. Repenting means that Jesus sets the agenda of your life. And get this, you say, Well, that sounds kind of hard. It is hard. But it's also glorious. Because as you turn to King Jesus, you'll find a Savior who loves you like no other, who forgives you like no other, who's got dreams that are far better than your dreams, who's got plans that are far better than your plans. He will hold you in His hand until the day of eternity. And so it's not just turning around and going in a new direction. It's a new direction that's filled with joy and resolve and purpose because the King walks with you in this way. Very soon these New children of God through faith in the Son of God are going to be on the run taking the gospel of God to the ends of the earth. For them and for us, repentance means that Jesus upends our assumptions. It means that embracing Jesus and all that He says and is and does is our life. It is important, church, that we do not this morning underestimate the miracle of repentance. Repentance is a part of the miracle of becoming a child of God. It is a part of the miracle of moving from life to death. It is something that we are commanded to do, and yet it is something that God grants, Acts 3.26, 5.31 and 11.18. And God gives it to us, He grants it as our hearts are open to the reality of who we are and who God is in the hearing of the gospel. And there are some who are lost today, and you are hearing the gospel, and the Spirit is going to begin in the hearing of the Word to open your heart to repent and be forgiven. Repent and believe in Christ. Believe what is signifi- signified by baptism. Believe that Jesus is God made flesh. Believe that he came down. To die for your sin. That he was buried and he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. Overcoming all the horrors of death that your sin deserved. Believe that he was raised to secure your everlasting life. Now and forevermore in a renewed body. When he comes in glory to raise you up. And resolve right now to follow this king all the days of, his li- of your life until he comes again. That is what is signified in baptism. And it is why baptism, do you see this, is upon the name of Jesus Christ. My translation says in the name of Jesus Christ, but the Greek word is literally upon the name of Jesus Christ. I like the word upon better than in because it means I I put the whole weight of my life on him. I'm not just going to get a little bit of Jesus in my life and keep living my life, but I'm going to put the whole weight of my identity, my beliefs, my assumptions, everything that I long for, I'm going to rest it on Jesus. The name of Jesus represents His divine authority. It represents His power to grant the blessing of the Holy Spirit and to empower us to live for Him in a world that stands condemned because of their sin. To call upon the name of Jesus is to put that whole weight of our lives upon him. It's to know that there's nothing that I could ever do to undo what I've already done. You ever do that? You mess up in your marriage? You mess up in your workplace? and You mess up in your parenting and you're like, well, I'll just do ten good things to make up for that one bad thing. It doesn't work. The bad thing's still there. You could do do a million good things, but the one offense that I've made against my bride, I could never take it away by loving her and blessing her and buying her a million Christmas presents. The only thing that'll take it away is when I say, Stacy, I'm sorry that I, whatever I've done. And that's only possible because Christ died to take away my sin and forgive my sin and her sin. And relationally, we we know this, we try to cover up the friction in our relationships by heaping a bunch of good stuff on there, but it's really just pride because we don't want to come to to someone and say, I'm sorry that I said that about you. I'm sorry that I thought that about you. I'm sorry that I made an assumption that I shouldn't have made. How much more in our relationship with God do we think that we can just pile up a bunch of good deeds and take away one sin, much less millions of sin, against an infinitely holy God? You'll never make it go away by what you do. But praise God when you call upon the name of the Lord who died to forgive your sin, who died to take your sin and be raised up to give you new power and a new life and to pour the Holy Spirit upon you to be His witnesses and to live for Him in that moment. You have gone from not just being born physically, but to being what Jesus says is born again by faith in Jesus Christ. A whole new way of seeing. A whole new way of living. And it's possible because the Holy Spirit comes upon those who are believers. Look at, look at verse the end of verse 38 and 39. Those who call upon King Jesus. We see this. Those who call upon King Jesus... Receive the same Spirit given to the first believers at Pentecost. The, The same Spirit who empowered those first believers to share the gospel in foreign languages, these believers are now going to receive. Repent and be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Not you might receive the Holy Spirit, not you could receive the Holy Spirit, but if you've repented and believed in Christ, you will receive the Holy Spirit. It's the promise of God. And this is important because the Spirit of God, who is God, is the seal of authenticity. You say, well, how do I know I'm a believer? How do I know that I'm saved? How can I be confident? Paul says it this way, in 2 Corinthians 1.22, God has put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Those who know God get the presence of God in their life through the Holy Spirit. We get God Himself. Where there is true repentance and belief in the name of Jesus. There is communion and fellowship with God the Holy Spirit because God has cleansed our hearts. He's given us a new life and a new heart and He's made us new creatures who are capable of enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Old Testament is coming true. Not just for the apostles and for those first 120 believers, but for all who call upon Jesus through faith in Jesus we can know the promise of a new heart of a transformed relationship with God. Why are so many de- people today depressed and defeated and discouraged? It's because they don't have the indwelling presence of God in their life. They don't know God. And here's what the scriptures promise in Isaiah 32:17. When the Spirit comes, when God pours out the Spirit, the effect of righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. Do you, need a, do you need a quietness in your heart today? Do you need a peace that passes all understanding in your life today? God says it's possible through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. If you'll cry out to God, if you'll acknowledge that you're a sinner, if you'll repent and believe on christ you can know the presence of god in your life the coming of the holy spirit means that a whole new life is available for those who hear the gospel repent of their sins and believe in jesus that's the hope of verse 39 the spirit's not just for the apostles of the first 120 he is for the multitudes he says this promise isn't just for you it's for your children and it's for those who are far off have you ever felt far off from god Have you ever felt too dirty for God? Too broken for God? Too alienated for God? I I used to go to church and I thought I understood and then I walked away for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years and today in the hearing of the gospel, I finally get it. The lights are coming on. But I've been gone too long. God could never save me. God says, no, I'm here for those who are far off. I've come to rescue those with perverted and distorted attitudes, those who are coming out of bars and out of broken relationships. I'm here to rescue those who are far from the things of God because the Spirit of God has been poured out on the people of God to take the gospel of God, that this process that we're reading about right now would be replicated again and again and again, that people would hear the word, the Spirit would break people's hearts, and they would repent and believe, and there would be salvation in Jesus' name. That's why we're here. Because God has saved those who are far off. Eventually in in the book of Acts. The gospel is even going to get to Gentiles. This is is Jews and Jewish converts. But but soon it's going to get to Gentiles. And it's going to get there. Through the witness of these Jews. Who are persecuted in Acts 8. And they take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The day that the prophet Joel prophesied has come. He tells us. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. There is a great day of the Lord coming when God will judge, but there will be some who survive. Who will survive? All who are in Christ. In Revelation, it says His name will be on our foreheads. When Jesus comes again, will He see The name that is sinful, Daniel, or will he see the name of Jesus? All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're reading carefully, and I know that you are, you're thinking, hold on a second. They baptized them and and then they got the Holy Spirit, but I thought to be saved I had to be changed by the Holy Spirit. So what's going on here? and you're reading very well. So in this case, they're baptized and they receive the Holy Spirit, but it isn't always this way in Acts. Sometimes the order is reversed. And so you have to remember that this is a book of transition. And so Jesus is vesting His authority in His apostles, and they will go into new territory and verify that the gospel that's being believed is the true gospel, and then the Spirit will come. But once the Bible is complete and the authority of the apostles is housed in the scripture, it is always the case that when you are converted, when you go from death to life, you get the Holy Spirit of God in that moment. So you don't have to get wet to get the Spirit. You just have to be convicted, you have to be repentant, and you have to believe in Jesus. When those things are happening, the Spirit of God is making you, has made you a child of God. Fourthly, those who call upon the name of Jesus must be saved from the world. We must be saved from the world. I think we've lost this in evangelical Christianity today. Come to Jesus and just live like you always live. That is not the gospel. What does Peter say? Save yourselves from this crooked generation, and let me, let me just say to you, we've, we've had, praise God, a, a number of guests, and we're so thankful that you're coming. We pray you'll continue to come, and I want to say to those who are online and in the gym, you'll never experience authentic Christian community while you're still trying to hang on to the world. You'll never experience the depth of joy of Christian community while you're still trying to do it your own way. You say, well, I just I don't get church. I don't understand church. you got to let go of the world as you embrace the community that God has saved you to. In verse 40, Luke tells us he had to abbreviate Peter's sermon. I appreciate that. He says, with many words, he exhorted them. I suspect that, it, that as people were being cut to the heart, the Spirit showed Peter in the faces and in the body language of some who were listening that day, that they needed to hear more. That he, he picked on particular scenarios and situations and he kept encouraging them. After all, eternity was on the line and eternity is on the line today. Peter, with the Holy Spirit giving him boldness of speech and discerning receptivity to the eyes and the ears of those who were looking at him, he kept on preaching. And the summary of his message was this, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Literally, be saved. Because you can't save yourself, right? You have to be saved by God. Be saved from this crooked, warped, twisted, perverse generation. Surrender to the saving call of the Holy Spirit and separate from worldliness. Which means that Christians must stop asking, how much can I get away with? And start asking, how can I best magnify Jesus? Have you ever heard that question? Well, Jesus, I mean like, How many beers can I have and still be okay? Jesus, how little can I give and still be generous? Y'all ever heard those questions? When you come to Jesus, the whole attitude and perspective changes. God, what do you want from me? I'll give it. What do you want to take from me? You can have it. Whatever it's going to look like in my life to glorify Jesus in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation, I'll do it. There's some today who think they're believers, but they're chasing the American dream rather than the gospel dream. There's some today who are believer, who think they're believers, but they're living a double life. they've got a spiritual life on Sunday and a debtor than four o'clock life on Monday through Saturday. Jesus didn't come to save you for Sundays. He came to save you to the uttermost. Those who are going to be rescued from God's coming judgment on the world of sin in the future will demonstrate their salvation by way of their separation from the world of sin right now. That's what the Bible says again and again. Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. The Apostle John says, Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. Now let me ask you, is your life characterized, is your mind characterized by an orientation that is set on things above or is set on things below? Do you love this world or do you love Jesus? You say, well, I thought I was supposed to love my neighbor. I thought I was supposed to love the world. Yes, you're supposed to love your neighbor. You're not supposed to love sinfulness and worldliness. You can love your neighbor without having to love the sin that is destroying their lives. So let me ask you a serious question this morning, an internally serious question. Have you been saved from worldliness? Or are you living every bit as much for the world as you always were, and Jesus is just a get out of hell free card to you? Like a little trinket, a little troll doll rub his head, and okay, everything's going to be good, and I'm going to go back to living just like I did. Church, we can't play games with Jesus. He's the King of glory. Those who are saved by Jesus will love Jesus by fighting daily to leave behind their sin and worldliness. And they will endeavor to bring as many out of the world with them as they possibly can, which is a reason that we need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God to live for Jesus Christ in a world that is anti-Christ. Now that doesn't mean we become monks or hermits or that we don't buy groceries or put gas in our cars or eat an occasional steak. I like steak. But when we trust Jesus, our relationship with the world changes. Our relationship with the prevailing attitudes of our generation changes. Let me say that again. Our relationship with the attitudes of our generation changes did you know generation Z that's my daughter's age that they have an attention span of 8 seconds 8 seconds so you know what the you know what the some of the leadership gurus are saying well that means we've got to make a a sermon 8 seconds we've got to make songs 8 seconds we've got to do everything in 8 second sound bites that's crazy talk what we need to do is to raise a generation of teenagers that we, because they got the power the Spirit of God in them, have a longer attention span than eight seconds. We can't capitulating to the can't keep capitulating to the assumptions of the world and saying that defines how we teach people, how we train people. Have we forgotten that when people turn from their sin and trust in Christ, they get the Spirit of God to make them new on the inside, and that's not just some belief that's going on? It changes your mind, your heart, your body. It changes everything about you because you've got communion with God, which means we don't raise, we don't lower the standard. To get down to the world, we call people up into what on the authority of God's word, Jesus has saved them too. We're the church. We're the people of God. You say, why are you so excited about that? Because I've seen generations keep dumbing down the gospel and keep selling kids short of what they're capable of. You put the Spirit of God in the heart of a teenager and watch what God will do with them. We're not defined by our world. We are defined by our warrior king. And as Peterson says, those who want to be saved from the judgment of God in the future need to distance themselves today from their generation and identify with Jesus and His cause. You say, well, that sounds hard. I've I got to leave behind this stuff. Yes, you do, but I've got to tell you something. You don't lose when you come to Jesus. You gain. Yes, you leave behind worldliness, but I'm going to tell you something. You get a community that's far better, that's much greater. Yes, you might have to give up some friendships. You might have to give up some attitudes. You might have to give, some, give up some places that you've been in your past. Or you might have to grab a brother or sister in Christ to go with you to hold you accountable because you're going to go back to that bar not to get drunk, but to share the gospel and bring them to church with you next Sunday. You say, well, I can't handle that temptation. I'll go with you. I'd love to go to the bar with you and have a Coke, play some pool. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, when we call upon the name of the Lord, we get the Holy Spirit, we get communion with God, and He puts us in a family to help us live for Jesus until the day He comes or calls us home. Look at verse 41. Do you see what it says in verse 41? So, those who received His Word, the Word of God had done its work. It got on the inside of them. They were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? What? They were added to the kingdom of God, to the family of God. The church was growing and someone was counting. Why were they counting? Because Jesus saves individuals to live in community with other people who are are saved. He saves a family that is to be organized around Jesus. Not the pastor, not the deacons, not your Sunday school class, but Jesus, His work, His mission, His message. You will search the New Testament over and over again, in vain, looking for a Lone Ranger Christian. You'll not find one Christian who doesn't live in Christian community. You need the family of God. And God created His family to help sanctify you and make you more like Jesus day by day. Which means there's going to be some things that happen in the family life that you don't like, that you don't enjoy, that you don't understand, but it's okay because they're family. This family changes their view of everything. The lights come on, they receive the word. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word overtakes us, it becomes our DNA. And here we have in Acts, the first of many examples where we'll find a person of God declaring the word of God and the spirit of God who then works by way of the Word of God to change hearts and bring you people into the family of God. And this morning, if you know that you're a sinner, if you've sensed the conviction of the Spirit in your life, if you know that if you were to die right now that you would still be walking for your fame, but instead you want to walk for the fame of King Jesus, then I'm here to tell you, not only will you receive Christ, but you'll get a whole new family, and we would love to be your family. We would love it if Jesus would add you to our family. As Kellum says, not only did they receive Christ, the disciples received them. Have you been received into a family like no other? Have you heard the gospel? Have you been cut to the heart? Have you turned from your sin and come to rest the entire weight of your life upon Jesus who took your place? Have you been saved out of the world into the family of God? And if that is not your testimony, why not trust Him today? North Roanoke Baptist Church would love to receive you. King Jesus would love to receive you. And it just so happens that next week we're going to fill this tank and we're going to baptize some people. So I have a question. Are you in Christ? If you were to die today, Are you in Christ? If you're not. I want to receive you. North Roanoke wants to receive you. And most importantly. The king of glory. Wants to receive you. Let's pray. God in heaven. We give you praise. For your presence among us. We give you praise. For the example. Of the 3,000. Who followed you on the day of Pentecost we give you praise that they didn't bottle up that testimony in Jerusalem forever but eventually it was on the run to the ends of the earth God that you have reached some of us who are far off and today that there are still some who feel far off but in a moment God that they confess their sin that they trust in you we know that they've gone from death to life and we ask God that you would do that in some today And we ask it as we stand and sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanup.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.